1: What are the most successful change leaders of today doing to deliver great results? Welcome to Inside Transformational Leadership with your host, Kate Ebner. Our program is produced by the Institute for Transformational Leadership at Georgetown University. We'll explore the inner game of transformational leadership, sharing insights from renowned leaders and faculty from our world-class leadership and coaching programs. Now, from Georgetown University, here is Kate Ebner.
2: Good morning and welcome to Inside Transformational Leadership. I am Roz Kay, your guest host this morning, and a faculty member of the Institute for Transformational Leadership. It is my great pleasure to have David Cooper Ryder on today as our guest speaker to talk about positive change and the art of appreciative inquiry. Welcome, David.
3: <laughs> Thank you, Roz.
2: Um, let me offer our, our listeners a little bit about you. Um, David is the Fairmont Professor of Appreciative Inquiry at Case Western Reserve University. He's also the faculty chair of the Fowler Center for Business as an Agent of World Benefit and the co-director of the Strategy Innovation Lab. David is best known for his pioneering theory on appreciative inquiry, and he has served as an advisor to senior executives in business and societal roles, including projects with five presidents and Nobel laureates such as William Jefferson Clinton, His Holiness the Dalai Lama, Kofi Annan, and others. David has served as a strategic advisor to a wide variety of organizations including Apple, Verizon, Johnson & Johnson, the Boeing Corporation, National Grid, Smuckers, Sloan Kettering, Fairmont Minerals, Green Mountain Coffee, McKinsey, Parker Hannafin, Sherwin-Williams, Dealer Tire, Walmart, as well as the Red Cross, American Hospital Association, and the Cleveland Clinic and United Way. He has published over 20 books and authored over 100 articles and book chapters, including among them, Appreciative Inquiry: A Positive Revolution in Change. In 2010, David was awarded the Peter F. Drucker Distinguished Fellow by the Drucker School of Management that has recognized his contribution to management thought. Welcome, David. Thank you so much for um, joining us today. Thank, you, Thank you. You know, David, I met you 15 years ago at the Cape Cod Institute, and it was my first introduction to appreciative inquiry. At the time, um, it, seemed, it seemed like such a switch from what I had been used to, obviously, working in business uh, when we, we see things from a, a different perspective than looking at strengths Um, A lot has happened since then, as you know, and um, for you and for Appreciative Inquiry. Let's start with uh, you sharing a little bit about what is Appreciative Inquiry, because we may have some listeners who are not as familiar, and how you came to bring it um, forward.
3: Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you Russ. Thank you for having me on the show today. Um I I just want to preface before I go into the story just um how my sense of hope about what we're capable of as human beings is just going up and up. Um and I know that that sounds odd at a time where there's so many complexities and a time where our politics are poisoned and so on. But, um, but I, as we get into the um, story um, today, I think, I think I hope to leave people with a greater sense of hope that um, it is a time to rethink human organization and change and what we're capable of as human beings. And, you know, this morning... I was rereading a very early book in the human sciences um, before the positive psychology revolution and so on, and it was a book by Verena Cast, um, and um, it was called Hope, Inspiration, and Joy. And it was a remarkable book in the sense that it began to articulate how positive affect, um, things like hope and inspiration and curiosity and camaraderie with others, how positive affect um, like that, positive emotion like that, was not just uh, an indicator of optimal human functioning or team functioning or organizational function, not just an indicator, but that it's actually a transformational force, that it actually um, builds higher human capacity and optimal performance. So I'm going to come back to that um, in a bit. But um, yeah, I started um, writing and thinking about Appreciative Inquiry in about 1980. I had a remark, it was one of the biggest, res- earliest and largest research projects I'd ever been working on. Um, I was a doctoral student at the time. Um, my um, mentor, Suresh Ravasva. Um, He was the chairman of the Department of Organizational Behavior, the first PhD program in the country in the field of organizational behavior. And it was a remarkable time of just um, huge creativity in that pioneering department and culture. And um, I had the opportunity... He introduced me to the senior leaders at the Cleveland Clinic. Um, it's now emerged as the number one heart center in the world. For example, it's it's got fifty seven thousand or more employees at this point, um, and um, and I I had a chance to study um, that organization, and I think the importance of this story that I'll share quickly is that. Um, appreciative Inquiry was never a, intended originally to be um, a, an intervention or a way of doing organizational change or development. Um, it, quite frankly, um, in the beginning it emerged for me as a theory-building methodology, a way to build new new concepts and 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 theory for the social sciences. So it was a research. It was it was intended as a research method. But what happened was, um, I was originally um, contracted to come in and do an organizational diagnosis. That's the word we used to use. Um, um, in the field of change and organization development, and my job was to find out everything that was not working in the system. Um, and as I got into it, it was, um, it, it bothered me as I was just tracking all of the forces and the problematic situations because they had given birth to a new form of management that um, was quite rare. Um, for example, physicians and administrators would come together in groups of five hundred people together to make decisions and so on. So, so um, you know, so I I went to my chairman and I said, um, Suresh, you know, this is a remarkable place. And he saw my excitement. He said, Let's let's go with that and and just study um, study through this lens of the excitement you have for what you see. And so all I did was um, study um, everything that gave life to that system when it was most alive, when people were most engaged, when the research and development and the breakthroughs and in innovation and in um, and, and medical technology. And all all I did was study what gives life to this system when it's most alive. And what was interesting is that um, it was time to present um, these findings to the Board of Governors and uh, and i 'll never forget that day where I started feeding back a fifty page report on on you know kind of looking into the soul of this organization and um, And the first comment from the um, top surgeons and physicians from the medical model was well where 's all our problems?" And I said, you know, that's not our methodology this time. We decided um, to start studying because there is something so special in terms of the collaborative culture and the group practice medicine that was pioneered here. We decided to study everything that gives life to this system when it's most alive. Well, what happened was as they got into the report, um, again, a fifty-page report studying the true, the good, the better, the possible—everything that gives life to this system when it was most alive and most effective, and when people were most engaged and it was most creative—as a as a system. Um, then they said, "Could we do this with all eight thousand people?" Um, so my dissertation work began to track this project, and um, and the and the fundamental. Um, discovery was that the more we studied the true, the good, the better, the possible, everything that gave life to this system, the more those things would grow, the more the um, positive core of that system would amplify and multiply and pretty soon we began to realize that uh, that, that that's the, the search for what gives life and today we're calling it the strengths revolution in management um, that strengths and, and the study of strengths, the study of the positive outliers, the study of positive deviations from the norm, um, that, that, that inquiry and change are a simultaneous moment, that we become what we study most deliberately and authentically and deeply. And so um, over the years then, Appreciative Inquiry began to evolve much more as a a form of practice, as a way to help transform systems and the stories and the examples and the things we've been called into um, are quite amazing. So um, so anyway, I, I guess I wanted to just share that this was really meant as a theory building, as a research tool, to help build what we might call, what um, one scholar calls generative theory, theory that opens the world to new possibilities and challenges our assumptions of the status quo and implants and gives us new visions of what's possible, kind of a possibility science But the real discovery is that that inquiry equals change, that the questions we ask determine what we find, and what we find sets the stage for a culture or a system to begin imagining and envisioning their future. And in this case, it helped them imagine the next stage of their development. Over the next 12 years, they became... Um, the world-class medical center in the world. In fact, in today's politics, you know, we see how no one across the aisle can agree, but I I wrote a blog um, um, a couple years ago, and it was during the presidential um, election, Romney and, and Obama were running. The only thing they agreed upon in that, um, in their debates, was that the Cleveland Clinic was the best managed and most excellent healthcare system in the world.
2: So, David, may I stop you there for a moment? Um, so, David, Pardon? I was, I said, could I stop you there for a moment? I wanted to um, just say something I noticed in your telling the story is I almost felt like you were back there.
3: <laughs> well, it was a thrill, um, and I can. I can tell you that, um, that, that, that part of the shift that happened for me was realizing that our, our metaphors matter, that, that our, our root assumptions of the world really matter. And, you know, do I go into, as it was an original invitation to study everything that was breaking down or what was wrong, you know, is the world a problem to be solved Or are human systems like the Cleveland Clinic that are just creating such breakthroughs in medicine and so on? Or is the world uh, 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 an emerging, is it a gift? Is it a a world of abundance? Is it a world of, a universe of strengths? And that shift um, makes a huge difference in the way we ask questions in the world.
2: Well, something you said, David, too, that um, really struck me is how much today um, early on you said something about the hope. And um it really did touch me at that moment because I was thinking, boy, that is true. You know, that having a little hope can be um you know a catalyst for change and you know, positive change being a big part of it. What um has emerged for you over time?
3: Well well as I mentioned, what, what happened was appreciative inquiry then became, um, we began to codify and began to track what is it that made it powerful um, and it began to turn into a practice today. It's, we have tools like the 4D cycle of discovery dream, the design thinking phase, um, the delivery and, and, and phase and so on. Um, But let me just share what began to happen as we started getting called into um, just amazing projects. For example, Frank Barrett and myself um, got called by um, the head of the United States Navy and he said, David, do you think we could really do strategic planning with like 500 people in the room. Um, The way you do the Appreciative Inquiry Summit methodology, for example, and so that launched years of work with the United States Navy at the very senior levels, and we started seeing how powerful um, all of this was. After about, um, after many experiments began to emerge with Appreciative Inquiry, we, we, we saw the momentum, and I had a chance to meet with Peter Drucker. Um, he, this was shortly before he passed away, and this is a nice bridge, I think, uh, uh, a nice practical bridge into what is Appreciative Inquiry. But um, you know, he wanted to hear about our work with Appreciative Inquiry with the Navy, with companies like Green Mountain Coffee Roasters and Fairmont Minerals and so on. And at the end of the day, I said, but Peter, you've written more on leadership and management than anybody in history. Could you put leadership and change leadership in a nutshell? What is it all about? And, you know, again, he was 93 years old um, and, and, and he could put it in a nutshell. And he said, David, it's easy. The task of leadership is to create this alignment of strengths in ways that make a system's weaknesses irrelevant. And I wrote it down, you know, the task of leadership is to create this alignment of strengths in ways that make a system's weaknesses irrelevant. And what was important about that is that it it, it began as I left his home after eight hours that day. It was a real privilege. By the way, I found out, uh, just talking to him uh, later, I found out that 75% of his vast writings, he's considered the father of management thought, everybody seventy five percent of his vast writings happened after he was age sixty <laughs> so it was a you know a remarkable day and it gave gave me uh, a long term vision but um, but again what what, what what that what that comment raised was the question of you know could it be that leading change is all about strengths that 's all it 's about it 's about nothing else. And if that's the case, then it raises all kinds of questions for a theory of change, like, why would hope connected to hope ignite and propel change? Why would inspiration create and propel and elevate change? Why would you know, hope touching hope or another person's inspiration touching another person's inspiration? Um, it also begs the questions of, okay, if, that's, if leading change is all about strength. I mean, we've talked about the idea of strengths in management, that strengths perform, but what about the idea that strengths do a lot more than perform, that they transform? It's the stuff of transformation. Well, then it raises the questions, where are the tools? For the rapid elevation of a whole system's strengths and positive core of all past, present, and future capacity, where are the tools for the combination effects of strengths, the chemistries of strengths, um, creating new concentration effects of strengths? You know, bringing unlikely parties together across silos to ignite the connection of strengths, and then finally, where are the tools for building institutions that consistently? elevate and enable our highest human strengths, but then ultimately bring those strengths into the, to the world. Um, so that conversation with Peter Drucker was important, I think, because that's what appreciative inquiry is about. It's, it's, it's a whole, in the practice sense, it's a whole set of tools for the elevation and the multiplication the magnification and the concentration effect of strengths in the service of leading change.
2: Thank you, David. Um, we're going to go to break here in a couple of seconds and we'll be back and okay. we'll get more into this um, conversation. Very exciting.
3: <laughs> Thanks, Russ. Stocks,
1: bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now, toll-free, 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Founded in 2012, the Institute for Transformational Leadership, ITL, is an international center for inquiry, experiential education, and research about leadership in the 21st century. Our mission is to develop worldwide communities of transformational leaders and leadership coaches who are dedicated to engaging and providing the leadership needed for a more sustainable and compassionate future. We currently offer two cohort-based certificate programs, the ICF Accredited Certificate in Leadership Coaching and the Executive Certificate in Transformational Leadership. We also offer a range of ICF certified advanced coach education master courses for experienced leadership coaches. For more information about our programs and how to apply, visit scs.georgetown.edu forward slash ITL. Email programs at georgetown.edu or call 202-687-7000. Up-to-date business and financial news. Call now and get the financial information you need. 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. The experts are here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Inside Transformational Leadership, produced by Georgetown University's Institute for Transformational Leadership. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please send an email to itlprograms@georgetown.edu. at Here again is your host, Kate Ebner.
2: Hello, uh, Roz Kay here again with David cooper Ryder. So David, um, it, as we kind of begin to think about Um, AI, what what do you think is possible for organizations, um, people, and the world if um, we could see it through the lens of um, positive change?
3: Yeah, Raz, I I think so much is possible. I I mentioned one element of the appreciative inquiry approach, and it's, and it's um, it's that whole discipline of... Of learning how artfully to work with the positive core, or the strengths of a system. Um, I want to um, jump to a next next piece of appreciative inquiry. I'm going to kind of outline three pieces: kind of the positive and strength-based or perspective. Um, the second is around wholeness, the experience of the power of the whole, and then the third is design and inspired thinking. Um, in terms of so the first bridge to what is appreciative inquiry it's it is around um, harnessing the strengths and assets and positive core of a system, and we know, for example, the whole revolution that 's happened in the human sciences around that you know, Marty Seligman called for um, a, a real revolution in psychology, he called it the positive psychology. Um, turn or the movement of positive psychology. And again, there is so much research that begins to support why it is that appreciative inquiry is powerful. Um, my whole bookshelf in the human sciences has shifted. Um, you know, it used to be that, um, you know, in, in psychology at one point, um, out of 44,000 journal articles, 98.7% of those articles were on what's wrong with the human being. And so, um, you know, Marty said it's time for uh, rebalancing, you know, at least a 50 50 study of the science of human strengths and capacities and, and um, you know, the elements of not just depression and how to get rid of depression, but what about flourishing? What does that look like? So, um, and, 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 And so appreciative inquiry, I think, is really being nurtured and and has contributed a lot to that positive psychology revolution. The second, I think, element of appreciative inquiry is that it takes very seriously this shift that the world isn't a problem to be solved as a basic assumption. The world is a universe of strengths. And if we say the world's a universe of strengths, all of a sudden you start seeing um, that abundance everywhere. So if I'm working with a trucking company and they, they're struggling and they may not even see their own capacities and strengths internally, I can connect them with, let's say, Boeing. And um, and Boeing had won two Baldrige Awards. They, they live in this universe of strengths, an economy of strengths. And so the second... Um, piece of appreciative inquiry is taking that quite seriously in the way we do planning and the way we conceive of change. Um, so this principle of wholeness, um, you know, we we used to think that, you know, if I asked groups, what's the most effective size group? Well, very often the answer is about six to eight people, David. And, um, and I do. I have a handbook of small group research that has about a thousand studies that documented um, some years back, that six to eight is the most effective size group. As a result, in the field of management, we do almost everything in smaller group configurations, like strategic planning, it happens at the top, you know, six to eight people have their off-site retreat and develop the strategic directions and perspective, and then what? Then there's the communication rollout. Um, You know, and then a few years later, um, maybe in the 80s, there was a reaction against that top-down approach and so all of a sudden everything became bottom-up and, you know, so we had six to eight people at the shop floor now, you know, in quality circles coming up with their ideas for change and then delegating um, their ideas upward to their supervisor or the next level or the next level. But in all of that, uh, I think all, and during that period of time, the mantra got more and more solidified, that six to eight people is the most effective-sized group. So we have got project teams and temporary task forces and this and that. But what we never asked in all of that was most effective for what. You know, If our goal is to tap into that universe of strengths, both inside and outside the system, could it be that 500 people in the room for three days designing the future could be more effective than one group of six to eight handing their ideas off to another group of six to eight and so on. If our goal is to create a sense of one unified firm, you know, aligned with the long-term strategic intent and vision, could it be that a group of a thousand people, let's say that trucking company again that I talked about, you know, a thousand dock workers and truck drivers and not just and senior leaders and Board members and marketing and finance. You know, could it be that that whole system, including customers, in the room, could be more effective? And that's what we started really experimenting with. Then, um, and and what was born was the Appreciative Inquiry Summit process, where we bring anywhere between 300 critical and key stakeholders together—300 to 3,000 people—over a period of two and a half three days to plan and design the future. Well, my sense of hope about what we're capable of has gone up every time we've done one of these kind of macro um, strength-based events. Um, it's, it's, it's just quite incredible that you know, we've tracked the results. For example, we started working with Green Mountain Coffee Roasters, Bob Stiller got very excited the CEO the founder of Green Mountain he got very excited about Appreciative Inquiry and uh, brought a team of 12 executives to our program the certificate program on Appreciative Inquiry and when we started introducing Appreciative Inquiry to the company it was about a hundred million dollars in sales um, at that time ten years later the growth was phenomenal. Um, their market cap ten years later was 24 billion dollars, around 24 billion dollars. What was interesting is that first appreciative inquiry strategic planning summit with 500, you know, uh, of Bob's stakeholders and people at every level, you know, from the warehouse level of the coffee to the growing um, community in Costa Rica to customers. He had over 500 people in the room, and the first summit that we did was really, the title was prophetic. The title was preparing for an era of phenomenal growth and phenomenal world impact. So very shortly after that event, um, not only was the strategic plan and vision um, articulated and you had 500 ambassadors behind it, but they also began to lead in the fair trade movement and really began to. The U.S. Um, fair trade movement is has been um, completely catalyzed, um, probably primarily catalyzed by Bob Stiller himself and the group. So, um, so there's a lot uh, of examples like that of long-term sustained positive change.
2: David, that brings up a, a really um, interesting question for me. Uh, about the AI Summit and 500 people. And I was thinking that um, maybe our listeners would be curious what kind of commitment does an organization have to have to commit that many resources and that level of effort to the change they seek?
3: That's interesting, Roz, because, yes, very often people see it in terms of a big expense or a cost, And what our research is showing, like Jim Ludema's book on the Appreciative Inquiry Summit, um, Jim Ludema and a group of other colleagues, what the data is showing is that it is very cost-efficient and cost-effective. You know, in most change efforts, think of... a a company like Johnson & Johnson where you have um, this global entity that requires some change, let's say a new restructuring to take costs out of the business around the world and so on. Well, typically a change effort like that, a transformation effort like that would take years and years and years, but um, and and hundreds and hundreds of committee meetings and handoffs between small groups you know, we know that 70% of all change efforts fail. Um, you know, the John Cotter work and the work at Harvard has documented this and part of it, I th- believe, is just how slow our change methods are. Um, it takes incredible amount of time to move one, from one small group to the next to the next and so what the Appreciative Inquiry Summit does when you bring the whole system together um, is it, it it cuts the cycle time of change by a magnitude of ten? You know, instead of hundreds of committee meetings, and and think about it. Hey, you we've all been on on change leadership groups and teams where all of a sudden you're in your you're in the home stretch and you're thinking about the you know we're going to now articulate to the whole company and do this communication rollout, and then someone says, well, wait, we have to wait till the senior executive team gets together for their next offsite, and all of a sudden it's two more months before even the okays are developed and so on. So I I think so many of our change efforts um, are like ten times as expensive as they need to be and expensive in terms of time and in a way that creates a bureaucratic inertia that actually no matter how good the ideas are it actually hurts and and ultimately undermines even the best change plans. So we need methods today that are a lot more rapid, a lot more inclusive, and in three days, you could accomplish um, what might otherwise take three years to set in motion within a large-scale change effort.
2: I think that's really interesting because as you spoke and talked about the effort over time, you know, one thing that came to me is a sense of human energy that gets created when um, appreciative inquiry is used in, you know, in my case, in a smaller scale than you use it. But what can you offer about your observations about the energy released by bringing people together like this and yeah. engagement?
3: Well, we know we know that... Um, you know, let's let's just let's let's just imagine a typical appreciative inquiry summit. Um, I, you know, where the whole system becomes comes into the room, and you do an analysis of. All of the achievements over the last three or four years, all of the core competencies that have been exhibited, not just the best practices, but you study times of when the group has been elevated in their thinking and courageous in their thinking, or as Rosabeth Cantor calls it, Um, filled with confidence and so on, as you lift up the stories of the true, the good, the better, the possible, and we, you know, very often will give almost a whole day to that process um, to map um, what we call the positive core, all the past, present, and future capacity, what happens is there is an instant elevation of possibilities, And um, we know, for example, the research, Barbara Fredrickson's amazing research, when she was at University of Michigan, she wrote a paper that's become a classic, um, and she received the highest monetary award in the history of psychology for her paper, but it was called, What Good Are Positive Emotions? You know, all we had studied in the past were the negative emotions, like anger and fear, and, and a lot of our consulting methods modeled after that, you know, let's, 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 let's let people see the burning platform, that's going to motivate them, and, and the fear of losing their jobs, and so on. Well, what, what we started to realize through the research was that it's, it's it, it, the opportunity of things like hope and inspiration and confidence in ourselves what that does is three things. It, it makes the group and the collectivity more intelligent, more intelligent on every kind of creativity um, um, test, uh, intelligence test, and so on. But secondly, and this was the one that I really found interesting, positive emotions help reverse past problematic experiences. Um, and so Barbara Fredrickson in the laboratory, she found this through the MRI scans and neuroimaging and actually imaging of heart disease. You know, as as, as, as human beings, so often we reproduce the past problematic patterns of our past. Let's say we grew up in really harsh, critical, um, anger-filled um, or toxic home environment well, that records itself in you know heart disease later on, or um, in neuroplasticity terms. It changes actual neuron patterns in the brain. What Barbara found was that as people elevate these transformational positive emotions, it actually serves to undo physically undo those past negative patterns and she calls it the undoing effect of positive emotions and I like to think about it. Think about this. It's almost like an undo button in a Word document. Undone, you know, and all of a sudden the reconfiguration begins to happen. Well, we've seen the same things in very difficult labor management environments, for example. A company a major trucking company, the largest LTL carrier in the country, Um, many years of labor management conflicts, but you bring the dock workers, and the truck drivers, and the customers, and the systems thinkers, and the financial officers, and the marketing folks, you bring them into the room to redesign the future of the company. Let's say uh, one of the things on the agenda is to redesign the dock layouts what you notice is as people join arms and surface all the capacities and all the positive core of the system and positive deviant moments and so on, it does what Barbara Fredrickson predicted, and it, it begins an undoing function. You know, you can't go back in history and and change every single one of those earlier labor management conflicts. But what you can do is start developing the new and eclipse the old in a way where people get so attracted and so committed to what they're building that they're willing to let go of the past problematic patterns. And that's what I'm finding is that the most difficult human problems in human systems aren't solved directly in their own terms. But they're assault much more indirectly as we create the new and eclipse the old.
2: David, as we move to the, the last segment, um, that was that really caught me in the sense that I have also seen what you've talked about, and it's level. It's wonderful to have the background mm-hmm. um, that supports it. And um, in the next segment, I want to talk a little bit about what really needs to be in place for an organization to use appreciative inquiry and what level of commitment so um, we're going to move to break now and we'll be back
1: whether the market's up or down or if you're looking to improve your portfolio our experts are ready to talk to you call now Toll-free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Founded in 2012, the Institute for Transformational Leadership, ITL, is an international center for inquiry, experiential education, and research about leadership in the 21st century. Our mission is to develop worldwide communities of transformational leaders and leadership coaches who are dedicated to engaging and providing the leadership needed for a more sustainable and compassionate future. We currently offer two cohort-based certificate programs, the ICF Accredited Certificate in Leadership Coaching and the Executive Certificate in Transformational Leadership. We also offer a range of ICF-certified advanced coach education master courses for experienced leadership coaches. For more information about our programs and how to apply, visit scs.georgetown.edu forward ITL. Email programs at georgetown.edu or call 202-687-7000. Whether the market's up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now, toll free, 866 472 5790. That's 866 472 5790. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Inside Transformational Leadership, produced by Georgetown University's Institute for Transformational Leadership. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please send an email to i t l programs at georgetown.edu. Here again is your host, Kate Ebner.
2: Um, this is Roz Kay again with David Cooper Ryder. Um, David, um, in the last part, you were talking about you know the engagement and energy that's created and shared a little bit of Barbara Fredrickson's work. You know, what about the people who are really in the question about does Appreciative inquiry work, all the time, mm-hmm. and if it, what what are your thoughts on that?
3: Yeah. yeah, I think I think part of it is there's a lot of skill um, involved. Um, I think great leaders have this skill, but it's uh, let me talk a little bit about the art of the question. Um, so often we take um, uh, a circumstance let's say um let's say a circumstance with British Airways and there's a, a, a problem definition that's given to us and this problem definition just seems like reality and it seems and it draws everyone's attention. So my colleague Diana Whitney was working with British Airways and their presenting problem so to speak was um um excessive baggage loss. And she was teaching a little bit about the first stage of appreciative inquiry which we call topic choice. And In appreciative inquiry we're not so much solving problems but we're lifting up the topic that we're going to study and learn our way into. Um, so for example a lot of organizations still do and, and like uh, I saw a hospital that did uh, their third consecutive low morale survey among nurses. As if this documentation of low morale is going to create the uh, um, vision and inspiration for change. Well, we know that it's not um, very often that it just digs a, a hole of even deeper sense of 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 of, of depression. A company, for example, had 50 percent turnover rates at the mid-management level, and. Who do you think they were studying? Well they were doing interviews, exit interviews with all the people leaving to find out all the reasons why people were leaving. It wasn't until they reframed that as magnetic work environment. Let's do a study of magnetic work environments. What does that look like? Where is it happening? What are the dynamics? What kind of leadership patterns? And how might we amplify what we're learning about magnetic work environments? all of a sudden, the data and the vision and the clarity of where we want to go begins to come forward. So in this British Airways example, again, um, it required that kind of skilled framing and reframing. Is it excessive baggage loss? and, and uh, Or is it... You know, they came up with another topic that they actually instituted. It became the largest customer responsiveness program in the history of British Airways. But the new topic or frame or change frame was not excessive baggage loss, but they asked the question well, what is it that we really want to grow? What is it we want to see? and design, and the, the topic became outstanding arrival experiences. That's what our customers want. And so um, appreciative inquiry starts like that. And let me share with you probably um, one of the most, um, uh, you know, it was one of the high point moments of my career. Um, and, it, and, it, and it talks to the fact that we live in worlds that our questions create. So what happened was Dalai Lama was on a trip to Jerusalem, and it was you know tense and and conflicts among religions very high you know Buddhist or Muslim Christian Jewish and all the different tensions in Jerusalem he felt and he turned to. the uh, a supporter of his, um, Richard Blum, um, who's uh, kind of a venture capitalist out of San Francisco, and he said, Richard, you know, if only the world's religious leaders would just talk to one another, the world would be a better place. You know, at the highest level of the religions, we we hardly talk. We don't know what's in each other's hearts, he said and that was a shame he said because the recent report out of harvard showed that 87% of the armed conflicts in the world aren't between nation states but but between groups of different religions um, and ethnic identities. That's where most of the conflicts lie. So anyway, Richard said, what would you like to do, Dalai Lama? And Dalai Lama said, I'd like to create a new kind of dialogue among people of the world's religions where we can really have center-to-center connection and, and, and join forces to end religious violence in the world and create cultures of respect and cooperation um, in the service of some of our, you know, issues of poverty and so on. So um, so I got a call. Um, someone said, you should use appreciative inquiry. And first of all, I just, I felt totally out of my league. I'm a business school professor. Um, what am I going to do here? So but I started studying all the relationships between the religions over the last hundred years and interfaith cooperation movement and so on and and, um, and so the first meeting we would have was going to be in Washington DC and, um, and what I started playing out in my head were our theories of change you know you know one theory of change would be let's let all of these religious leaders from different religions um, let's have them draw a timeline of all the biggest conflicts and hurt that they've seen between religions, and I thought, no, that diagnostic approach is not going to move us forward. And then I started writing the Appreciative Inquiry questions, and um, as I did, I spent two weeks writing four Appreciative Inquiry-type questions. Um, And I share that with you because this isn't an icebreaker, like a lot of facilitators think about questions in a very thin way, like an icebreaker would be, you know, tell a story of, you know, as a child, your favorite pet, your dog, or what, you know, and no, you don't waste people's times with that. And so you create these substantive questions that help get at the deepest and best in each other's faith traditions. Well, that meeting was so powerful that then they said, let's host the next one. Um, The next one was held in Jerusalem. Um, And that powerful meeting um, resulted in another step and said, let's do the next one at the Carter Center with President Carter's interest in conflict resolution. And then um, a subgroup um, began to say, we've come together so much Let's create something like a UN among the world's religions where we have a place for working out our global interdependencies and these kinds of conflicts. Well, um, 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 Charles Gibbs um, and um, the Bishop, Bishop Swing, the Bishop of the Episcopal Church for California, went off and created then what's now called the United Religions Initiative. Again, not to create one religion, but to create a place for dialogue to end religious violence and to create cultures of peace and justice. And the reason I share this is sometimes people say appreciative inquiry is good under conditions of excellence, but what about conditions of conflict? Well, this was right in the heart of so many of the world's conflicts that we feel today. Well, anyway, in 2000 then, five years after working on this, we did five appreciative inquiry summits at Stanford University and wrote the charter for this. 2000, the charter was signed in Carnegie Music Hall. There's now 690 centers, cooperation centers around the world um, doing this work. And I'm convinced that it would not have, that 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 the power, the time you spend, and the skills you develop in developing these kinds of unconditional positive questions or questions that Jackie Stavros would say soar, strengths, opportunities, aspirations, and results, the art of that question, I think that's where genius lies, and great leaders know how to ask great questions. So, um, So
2: David, I'm curious, how would... How would somebody learn how to do that in such a way that you describe? Because it sounds like it takes um, some practice.
3: It does. It does. Because we, we know how to ask diagnostic questions. Every parent knows how to do it. Like if a child comes home with an A, an A, a C, and an F, guess where 80% of the parent's attention goes? Yes, it goes on the F. You know, our newspapers, what do you think the ratio of positive to negative news is? Well, it's, it's a, it's, it's, it's at least nine to one in the negative direction. We, as a society, we've learned how to ask the deficit-based question. What's wrong? Where's it broken? What's the biggest scandal? And so on. So the art of the unconditional positive question to elevate strengths and opportunities and dreams and aspirations and resources is a skill. We have a small book that we um, worked on called The Encyclopedia of Positive Questions. And um, anyway, there are programs um, that, um, that teach the appreciative inquiry, the art of the question, the how do you create conditions to bring whole systems into the room and ultimately how do you, how do you, um, um, how do you wrap every change agenda in the universe of strengths that's available. Um, one of those programs is, um, is um, at Case Western Reserve University where I teach. It's called the Certificate Program on Appreciative Inquiry. It's part of our Exec Ed series. Um, and another um, is at the um, Center for Appreciative Inquiry at Champlain College in Vermont, um, and they've just launched a whole series of programs on appreciative inquiry. So there are so many many David, avenues.
2: David, I'd like to acknowledge that they've named that center the David um, Cooper Ryder Center for Appreciative Inquiry, and I think that's an amazing honor and um, acknowledgement of your work.
3: It it. It it is, um, you know, I was very humbled when um, the president of Champlain called and the dean, um, Wes Balda, the dean of the business school. What happened was, and I guess this is testimony to um, what happens, appreciative inquiry um, is more than just a set of tools. It becomes um, a way to approach life, like the way I talk to my son and daughter. Well, Bob Stiller, the CEO of Green Mountain, I shared his story where they went from $100 million in sales. A decade later, they were nearly $24 billion in market cap. Well, he became convinced that this kind of positive psychology of human strengths and the tools of appreciative inquiry needed to be taught to business school students and college students and university students. So he established... Um, he 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 made a major transformational gift to um, Champlain College, and so that's when I got a call saying, you know, we would like you to join us in this effort, um, and um, we would like to call the center, the David L. Cooperator Center for Appreciative Inquiry, and, and David, you know, it did touch Bob. Two Bob's minutes life. left. Yeah.
2: We have two minutes left, and I don't want to lose sight of this. Um, Maybe we'll have to have you back again sometime. We can talk uh, even more about what's emerging for you. Um, Is there any last bits uh, you would like to share with our listeners about um, what they can do to um, change the world by positive change?
3: Uh Well, Well, it's... the the opportunities just open up as people go through their programs in Appreciative Inquiry, their lives change and it changes significantly with their work as leaders, with their work at home. One CEO came up to me after one of the recent sessions he was head of um, one of the global groups with a big telecommunications company and he said David this has implications for every aspect of our business for everything we do as a business and then there was a long pause in his voice and he said but I only wish I had heard these ideas when I was changed when I was raising my children um, that's part of the thrill for me is that people um, come away from this work realizing that um, that that it, that it you know it's not only about our professional lives and our workplaces but it adds value to every the people's personal lives in a very very deep way. So, so David um, I
2: can acknowledge that as a person having met uh, you years ago and and it happened at a time when I had a teenager and I will say that um, the work has really been um, like that for me personal and professional and I thank yeah. you for the contribution you made to that and I really thank you for being on the show with us today and um, I think there's a lot that we can do in the future with these ideas.
3: Yeah, yeah. thank you, Roz. It's been a joy to be with you today, and um, and to continue to advance what we might call um, a positive revolution and change, and just learning about the power of what it means to bring the best in human systems and surround any change agenda in that su- in that total capacity. And um, again, my sense of hope about what we're capable of in not just small system change, but whole systems. We're doing this work with whole industries, um, with whole communities. Kofi Annan um, used appreciative inquiry to bring um, a thousand CEOs together to create the United, or to accelerate the growth of the United Nations Global Compact. So um, it's it's been a privilege to be part of this and. Um, I can't wait to look back 30 years from now, you know, because we're at a stage where we're going to, as human beings, we're going to create a 100% renewable energy world. We're going to eradicate extreme grinding poverty from the planet. Um, And I think, um, you know, what, what all of this has taught me is that we're moving into this age of collaboration, this age of super cooperation, um, and it's fostered by the skills and the tools to lift up um, everything that gives life to human systems when they're most alive.
2: David, thank you so much for being on our show today. I really appreciate it.
3: You're welcome, Raz. Thank you Bye-bye. for inviting me. Thank you for joining us
1: this week on Inside Transformational Leadership. Please tune in for another edition with your host, Kate Ebner, next Monday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our programs, please visit scs.georgetown.edu forward slash ITL. We'll talk again next week.